I'm Teffer. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the Indigenous communities of that area. This week we're talking about Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. Um, This book is a book that Eunice brought up to our attention. So Eunice, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you chose this one? Yeah, um, first of all, this is how I choose a lot of books. It has a very pretty cover. It's a fairy tale retelling um, and uh, it's inspired by the uh, retelling um, the Grimm fairy tale, The Six Swans. And I was really interested because um, Elizabeth Lim was also has been on my radar as an author that I wanted to read. Um, and I've heard really good things about this book. And I think it delivers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this story is about a girl uh, princess um, named Shiori who... Um, it follows um, kind of loosely the six um, swans fairy tale. Um, so she has six brothers, um, they're princes, um, and they have a stepmother. And the stepmother turns um, them into, or her brothers, into cranes. And then also curses Shiori. Um, and she has to wear this bowl on her head. And she can't talk. As soon as she talks, um, her brother will, like, as for each word that's spoken, her brother, one of her brothers will die. And um, it's not even each word spoken, it's each sound made. Sound. Yeah, she right. Can't, she yeah. can't vocalize at all. Yes, she can't laugh. She can't um, outwardly cry or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so then, um, and then she's also kind of cast away. And um, she kind of needs to make her way back um, and find a way to break the curse to bring her brothers back. And it's all just set in this like really beautiful um, backdrop of um, this world um, that has magic, has, um, but it's been hidden away. Um, and um, that's also kind of the unfolding of the story of like, there's magic that exists in this world, but the people are afraid of magic, afraid of what it can bring. Um, and um, so they've kind of set up the system where they've locked it away. There are people in this world who are also like actively trying to keep any like vestige of magic hidden or destroy it. So that's kind of, the um setup of now, the story if you've ever heard us review a fantasy book you're probably gonna know that there's magic in this world but there are people who are trying to make there not be magic in this world um usually heads in a specific direction 
<laughs> with these bugs. <laughs> and uh, uh, you would not be wrong. I'm having this very interesting journey right now where I used to say fantasy isn't my genre. Like, I've said this on the show before. Fantasy is not my genre. I don't really read it. It's not really my thing. Um, this new generation of YA fantasy books is changing that. I am becoming a fantasy person. I, I certainly wasn't a fantasy person when I was a teenager with the fantasy that was available to us, except for Robin McKinley, which is like a whole different thing. Like fairy tale retellings have always been a thing that I like. But this combination of like this super rich textured fantasy world and a retelling of one of the fairy tales that has like gripped me most since I was a small child um, is just absolute crack. I couldn't put this book down. It's so good. You started setting the stage a little bit. I would say it's actually um, a, a pretty tight retelling. Like there's not that much changed in details from the Grimm and Anderson fairy tale uh, or the Grimm fairy tale, except obviously the setting, the fact that they are cranes and not swans, and then a few kind of details. But it, it does feel like a faithful retelling to me, just with context fleshed out in places the way a good retelling does. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth Lim is a veteran fantasy writer. She has um, the <clears throat> Spin the Dawn duology out already, Spin the Dawn Unravel the Dusk. Um, she has established herself as somebody who can create a fantasy world extremely well uh and this one um certainly does that now i haven't read spin the dawn have you no i haven't read it either yeah so this would be my first book by her i'm really curious because i know that i didn't do a ton of reading because i didn't want spoilers on this book um but I know that Spin the Dawn and Unravel the Dusk are very much drawn from Chinese folklore and history, mm -hmm. and I'm I now I want to read them because this one, obviously, like it is a fantasy realm, but it feels more like Japan to me. The mm -hmm. mythology, the food, the the fact that yeah. it's an island kingdom guarded by dragons, yeah. um, like these all feel like very Japanese things to me. And now I really want to read Spin the Dawn because I want to see how it compares, and I want to see like I'm like, oh, now I know that that's going to be like a slightly different fantasy world, yeah. and I really want to read that now, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is super fun. So I knew I was going to like this because on the very on the cover on the beautiful cover it says. There is a blurb from Kristen Kishore, who is the person who initially relit any interest in fantasy with the Graceling series, that says, this book is magic. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to agree, it is magic and it is full of magic. One little detail that just delighted me endlessly, which you've already mentioned through this entire book, is the fact that part of her spell is getting a wooden bowl stuck on her head. I yeah, the I don't know what it was about that um but I felt I I don't know if this is just me like cuz growing up um I would listen to some like folklore that like my mom would tell that was like they, uh, that was like stuff that she grew up hearing um that was more Korean um but like it felt very much like an Asian like way of telling the fairy tale I don't know why like it was just like a feeling that I had and I was like of course she would have a bowl on her head um and it it just felt like yeah sure <laughs> this feels like stories that 
like my mom told growing okay. uh, while I was growing up. Um, so I don't know why. I don't know why I felt that feeling. Um, I don't know if anyone out there also kind of felt that. Um, but it just felt very like Asian folk tale to me. Okay. <laughs> I'd be really curious if that if that is a nod to something, like if there's a, a story about it. Yeah. Um, it's just so funny. And reading this like, this serious book where all these serious things are happening and then occasionally you're reminded that she just this entire time has a wooden bowl on her head that covers her to her nose yeah um it's so funny and it almost makes her but I find I find that it like it works towards our perception of her character too right Mm -hmm. because it's this really interesting thing where like that's a very childish thing Having a bowl on your head is is a thing we do as kids, right? And uh, in many ways, sort of, I would visual, I would like see her in my mind's eye because this book is very visually rich, and mm-hmm. I tend to see things in my head when I read. It ages her down; it makes her seem younger, but at the yeah. same time, it protects her. And an important part of the spell is that it is, it's walnut wood, which hides whatever it contains. Um, so it hides her identity. Nobody recognizes her mm-hmm. as the princess, except people do along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does effectively hide mm-hmm. her from most people. And it gives her, it's like an air of, of naivete, I think. Like her protection mm-hmm. works by making her just seem a little silly and mm-hmm. a little unimportant. And, uh, well, I'm saying protection. I mean, it's a curse. <laughs> um, but that the other thing I was going to say is that the walnut wood ends up being protective as well because it hides her identity and frequently acts as a helmet. Like, people try to cut it off her head and they can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really, I found, like, that being the symbol of the curse, especially as things develop, which I don't want to give spoilers away about mm-hmm. the end. The twist is beautiful. I want to just leave it there for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it develops, it becomes even more powerful, I think, that the the symbol of this curse is this kind of, like, childish, innocent thing that's also mm-hmm. very protective. I just found that very, very compelling. I just got right into some very granular, like, textual research right there, right off the bat. But it was a detail that I really appreciated. Yeah. Well, I think it also, um, like, her, it showing her as being young is actually kind of true because she is, Mm -hmm. like, 16 in the book. And I feel like a lot of what happens in, like, YA fantasy sometimes is, like, things happen to the main character who's supposed to go through these things go through these things and then you're like you because of like the severity of the thing that they're going through which I mean 16 year olds do like there are 16 year olds who do go through like really like grim dark things um but like you also end up forgetting about their age because like how they like come through in the book um Mm -hmm. And this one, I feel like she, you could tell that she had a lot to learn about the world, being a like closeted princess, like kept away and being spoiled by her like dad and like brothers um, and not really experiencing the world outside of like her palace. Mommy, I want to give me a bigger cuddle. <laughs> 
Hi. Do you want to say hi? Hi, yeah. Toby. Hi. Hi. What do you think of this book? Yes, it's called the Dressing Up. It's called Dressing Up? Yes. What else do you think? What do you see on it? Mommy is dressing up like a vampire. She's dressing up like a vampire? Yeah. Okay. And, and what about these? Birds' wings. Yeah, there's birds' wings. That's right. What do you think? Do you think it's a good book? Yes. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks. It's a good book. Why did you go get some pancakes? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. That's great. <laughs> yes. And even to show, like, yeah, to show that, like, she has a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And she does, I yeah. think, like, kind of having this curse put on her, um, she does have to um, see the world in a different way um, and experience the world in a different way. Um, and that actually helps her in her um, quest to find who she is find, and, um, like, kind of understand her relationship to magic Mm -hmm. and then even though like throughout the book she can't actually use magic because Mm -hmm. that's part of the curse she is able to um get herself to a place where when she is finally able to use that magic she kind of understands it a little more Mm -hmm. because she knows herself and kind of knows the world better yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. This is one of the things, and this is one of the reasons I'm coming around to fantasy now with this new generation of fantasy, is because we're getting all this fantasy that resists the fantasy tropes that used to take me out of it. Um, so, the, for example, a book where it's like, we read Daughter of the Forest uh, a couple of years ago, which is a retelling of the same fairy tale, The Six Swans. And I think, I don't want to do too much comparison. But that really draws a parallel. She's like 13 or something in that one. Like she's very young. Well, because this happened in the like 80s and 90s. Like they loved to write YA books that were about 13 or 14 year olds and then be like, this is a 13 or 14 year old who is in a like 24 year old situation mm-hmm. and acts like a 24 year old. But don't forget, she's 13. Also, she's marrying somebody who's 10 years older than her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very uncomfortable. And uh, that this book, so I mean, I think Daughter of the Forest had that. I mean, we, we, we just roundly lambasted that book. If you <laughs> listen, it's in the archives. Give it a listen. Um, <laughs> and felt very bad about it because it was really ruining a classic favorite for a lot of people, I think. Um, but this one, she is 16, 17, which in YA years is like 30, right? Like yeah. you yeah. don't, you know, when you're 17, you know, you're dealing with like serious adult problems in YA. And she acts like a real 16 year old, which is to say she's overconfident sometimes. She's yep. extremely naive. She just kind of runs headfirst into things without considering mm-hmm you know, what might be going on. And and her brothers do too, which I think is really great because she has mm-hmm. these six older brothers, but she's, what, 16, 17? So the oldest of her older brothers wouldn't be more than like 30, I think. Yeah. Uh, they are all in their 20s and they, they, oh, and two of them are twins anyway. So like yeah. 
they all act young too. And they all act like sheltered princes trying to figure shit out too. And, mm-hmm. um, and they do like all of them, they do get conned. They do get taken in. Uh, they do fuck up like really extremely at times. And all of that works toward the story. And I really like this. I mean, it's just, it's just real fleshed out characters, right? It's just characters who act like they actually would. I want to take a second here and just recap the grim fairy tale very quickly um, for our listeners, because I think that's a way to give an idea of the structure of the story without giving away any of the details or twists that make this book so captivating. So the grim fairy tale, overarching, I just... I mean, I read it a lot as a kid, but I also just looked at Wikipedia to to freshen my mind. Uh, There is a king. He has six sons and a daughter. His wife dies. He is going to remarry, and he is worried about um, his new wife or other people being dangerous to his children because they're his heirs. So he hides them away in a castle to raise them and doesn't tell anybody about them. Not sure how he manages that because we live in a society, but... Anyway, his new wife is an enchanter, a witch, and she divines the existence of these children, um, and she weaves magic shirts, which she throws onto them and turns all the boys into swans. Uh, The youngest, who is a little sister, gets overlooked either because she's a girl or because the stepmother doesn't know about her because she's not really important enough. Um, That's kind of murky in the details. Her brothers are able to transform into humans in the evening, and they tell her how to break the curse, which is that she has to break, she has to weave six shirts out of nettles and throw them over them. And she cannot speak for six years. If she speaks, she will be turned into a swan as well, and they will all just be swans. Then a whole lot of stuff happens, uh, various stuff depending on what telling of the fairy tale. The grim fairy tale, according to its name, gets very dark um but you know one of these things where a king finds the silent woman doing a thing and is like oh a silent and beautiful woman i know i'll marry her and takes her off to her cast his castle uh she continues weaving the shirts and not speaking and gets accused of witchcraft and almost gets burned at the stake but she brings her brother's shirts to the stake and uh, right as the pyre is being lit to burn the witchcraft out of her, <laughs> her brothers swoop in and she throws the shirts over them and they turn back into humans, all except the youngest one who still has a wing because the shirt wasn't quite finished, uh, which is probably my favorite detail of the original fairy tale. I think that's a, just a very fun little detail. She's able to defend herself because she can speak. She acquits herself. She gets taken off the stake. Her mother-in-law gets burned as a witch instead because, like, you got to burn somebody in. Um, and that's the end of the fairy tale. So that's that's the grim original. Uh, this retelling, I would say, holds pretty closely to it. Um, yeah. Um, as you're recalling the fairy tale, I feel like I'm noticing a couple things with, like, this book that I think in the retelling, like, aspect works really well. Um, I really like that... Um, we're seeing retellings told through like a more feminist lens and um and the whole like burning women at the stake um thing because of magic and the whole idea of like magic being evil like if it's not like 
or because somebody like in the past has abused it. Yeah. Um, and like now people don't understand it. And then like any sort of like magic is like, like unexplainable and kind of tied to that evil narrative. Yeah. yeah. And like, and then in a lot of these books, it is like female main characters that have this magic, like, inside them or like they can do stuff with magic mm-hmm. um and be- that becomes part of their identity and I feel like a lot of the books that like I've read recently um with like the bone which we covered in the podcast um before mm-hmm. I feel like also had this where it was like the main character trying to figure this out when a world where like doesn't like the magic or thinks it's evil and then like magic becomes something that is kind of tied to the character's Mm -hmm. like life of like oh should we do we need to like destroy this from the character um and I feel like that's a really interesting take on all of these fairy tales and fairy tale retellings a lot of folklore and fairy tales were like kind of disseminated by men and they Mm -hmm. told them retold them um and so just to kind of take that and reshape it and take it away from the male gaze I think is really really needed and that's why I think there are so many retellings yeah um especially in YA I feel like there's been there's always been a lot of retellings in YA and like more recently I feel like they're doing a better job of kind of like turning that lens yeah exactly I mean I I read so many fairy retellings as a teenager because I grew up reading fairy tales and especially Robin McKinley like I think Robin McKinley's Beauty which is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast Robin Mm -hmm. McKinley has done two retellings of Beauty and the Beast she is obsessed with that fairy tale (laughs) um but Beauty I read I mean, I literally just spent, like, weeks one summer reading that book over and over and over again, probably in, like, 2006. Just, like, thinking about the difference, because in that fairy tale retelling, it was like a like an attempt, like an attempt was made at a feminist reading, right? But mm. it was, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> so, like, she gets to have interests, and she gets to be, like, a fleshed out character and not just a dutiful daughter, mm-hmm. but she's still marrying a man twice her age. Mm-hmm. And like, she's still doing the like, I'm trapped in a castle. Oh, guess I'll fall in love, which I am actually a beauty and the beast apologist, but I'm getting off track mm-hmm. here. I, I <laughs> Anyway. Um, <clears throat> yes. These, the, the fresher retellings. And I think there's something Again, don't want to give away the twist, but I think there's something really lovely about how silence gets reframed, how mm-hmm. her being robbed of her voice gets reframed. Yeah, There's also, I find, I mean, I guess The Little Mermaid is also a grim fairy tale, so it makes yeah. sense. Grimm like to talk about women getting their voices taken away from them as violence. And I think that's something to consider when mm-hmm. we talk about feminist retellings of fairy tales, mm-hmm. is that there's actually quite a lot in the original fairy tales that's very on the nose like these fairy tales are often in the original retellings very much about violence against women in its various forms and I think it's important not to lose that context when we Mm -hmm. talk about retellings 
Oh my god, okay, this is again a bunny trail. But the Gr- <laughs> Grimm's fairy tales were stories that existed, right? A lot of them were stories mm-hmm. that existed in, in one vestige or another that he, like the, the Grimm fairy tales are fairy tale retellings in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're fairy tale retellings that Grimm in many, many points used to frame violence against women and to point out injustice against women. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense that we gravitate towards feminist, uh, quote unquote, retellings of these fairy tales, because the themes are there. Um, you know, it's never like we talk about, I think we get confused between the original fairy tales and the Disney fairy tales sometimes. And the Little Mermaid doesn't actually romanticize the Little Mermaid losing her voice. Mm-hmm. It's It's very clear that it is a violent act that undermines her life and ends up ruining her life ultimately like and in that like and in the six swans her voice being taken away is violence that almost leads to her death because it's very easy to accuse a silent woman of things Mm -hmm. this takes that a step further and it takes the silence and it 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 just changes it it changes the context it changes Mm -hmm. things it it makes you rethink silence and it makes you rethink this this idea that a protagonist has to always act Mm -hmm. and actually now I'm kind of like taking exception to the use of the word protagonist like this book really has I think a strong theme of hey you're 16 maybe sit down and let other people do things Mm -hmm. like maybe you should not have to do all this stuff Mm -hmm. because because you're a child yeah uh and I like that Mm -hmm. yeah no I think with like every retelling of tales I think there's an opportunity to explain like what's happening in the world right like mm-hmm. in the in the context of that retelling of mm-hmm. um and so i think that i think that's why it um persists yeah um and that we keep retelling these stories um because like each with each retelling you're telling something like different mm-hmm. um that's more relevant in the context of what the reader or the um listener of the story is hearing exactly Um, yeah so I think that yeah I think we're always gonna see like these stories being retold and and it's gonna look different 10 years from now exactly yeah yeah Yeah. which is great which is like the good thing of of these stories this one also ends on a huge cliffhanger I think (laughs) we're looking at another duology or possibly series and I'm thrilled about that (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, well, there's a whole thing we didn't even t- touch on, like, the dragon aspect. There's dragons. Of, of the story. Um, there, we meet a really, like, fun character. Um, there's a Seriu. teenage dragon. <laughs> Sarah the dragon. Um, and they have, they definitely have a flirtation thing going on. I can't wait um, to see so... how this plays out. I am so excited. <laughs> there is definitely a dragon-human love triangle love tri- being set up. <laughs> and last time I said, like, oh, love triangles. But I think it's a little different when one of the um. <laughs> Um, one of the, uh, I guess, like, members of the love triangle is a dragon. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> I think what we're going to see, this mm-hmm. is my, my prediction, mm-hmm. is we're going to see, we're going to see Shiori have to choose 
between magic and the human realm. I think, I think that's the tension we're going to see. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see her coming into her powers. There's been a lot of indication that she's an extremely powerful mm-hmm. sorceress in her own right. Mm-hmm. And I think because she's going to the dragon realm with Seryu, yeah. I think we're going to see her coming into that power, you know, taking on the dragon king slash. I really think she's just going to make friends with him. That's my, like, strong, mm-hmm. that's my mm-hmm. strong uh, suspicion. <laughs> And then I think there's going to be that tension of, oh, but you belong here. Look at you here in the dragon realm mm. wielding your power. Why do you want to go back? Mm. But she has this lovely, um, God, I love an arranged marriage to falling in love. So oh, my then... gosh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we need to talk about Takan. Because, yeah, we do. Uh, um, there are letters involved and storytelling and... Oh my gosh. Um, I, I relate so hard to Shiori's like, oh, you liked me that whole time moment that she has. Where she's suddenly it. like, oh, you've always been this sort of abstract like NPC in my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Takata is so lovely. Um, I have not felt this way about a um, character, like a love interest in a YA book in a really long time, actually. I was just like, I was, I was floored by the reveal of his, like, of, um, like, uh, of, like, his slow reveal in the book, um, and, um, who he is, and, um, kind of, I just, oh. I love, like, the pining. Yeah, there's so much pining. (laughs) Well, I mean, who doesn't love the, like, yes, actually, I've been in love with you since the first time I met you when we were children. Yes. And I, like, like, who doesn't love that, right? That's such a good storyline. I love a long pining storyline. good. I, so when we meet him in person for the first time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's, like, concealed for a while, or, like, you don't know exactly who he is. Mm -hmm. Um... I was pretty sure of who he was. Same. Like, from the first encounter. Yeah. I yeah. was like, okay, I don't, okay, okay, I don't really I think. think that's, it's like a yeah, spoiler. It's, no. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, he's been, like, writing her letters, hoping that she would, he's a storyteller. And he's been, like, trying to woo her with his yeah. words. And she's just been not reading his letters. <laughs> I know! So painful. Like, so. And the other, that actually brings me to the other part. So the book begins with her running out on her betrothal ceremony uh, to to Takan. So she doesn't meet him. And uh, she has to weave a tapestry uh, uh, to say sorry in return. And she does not like sewing. Um, I really love the focus on needlework and fiber Mm. art as Mm -hmm. witchcraft this is a very 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 old correlation like this is the lady of shallot this is in the the original Mm -hmm. grim and anderson tale this goes way 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 back uh um penelope like we've always seen i guess penelope it's not exactly magic but you know like weaving especially Mm -hmm. but weaving and other forms of needle of like textile art I, I really love the place they hold in history because I feel like this magic, like I do a lot of textile art is where this is coming from. And I have uh, woven, do you remember when we went to the Lowell Mills in mm-hmm. like grade nine or 10? Yep. And yep. I used that little table loom and I was 
hooked. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've yeah. ever done. I emailed the director of the museum and was like, where can I get one of these looms? And my dad was like, that is too expensive. You are not getting one. Um, so <laughs> I, I really, really love this idea that because I do textile art, I am magic. Um, but also <laughs> like it's because it's true, like when you do it or when you see weaving, I think regardless of if you're like a textile person, seeing thread get turned into cloth, mm-hmm. especially seeing thread get turned into like beautiful patterned cloth is mm-hmm. just like, like if you've ever seen a skilled like rug weaver at work, um, like in the Southwest, you can often see Navajo rug weavers at work. Um, It's just astonishing. And I really feel this like continuity with history whenever Mm. I read something that's like, yeah, actually the process of making fabric is, is just like witchcraft. I think like, I think it's gotta be witchcraft. Cause like, I don't totally understand how we go from like a sheep or a plant and end up with fabric. Um, And so, you know, and then she's weaving with nettles, which is, Mm -hmm. I love that there's the whole process, you know, like Mm -hmm. she gets the nettles and they're magic nettles in this book. Mm -hmm. They're not regular nettles. And then she's like, how do I turn this into fabric and and like she has to go through the process like the actual process of working the fibers is part of the story where she has to like strip the leaves and strip the needles and pound the fibers and spin the fibers mm-hmm. before she can um make the in this one it's a net before she can make the net yeah. uh i just like that i like that that was fun yeah. for me personally <laughs> <laughs> um but oh but i liked like so another thing that has been happening in these recent fantasy books that I like is you'll have the trope of like the chosen one. I think mm-hmm. the chosen, I think the chosen one trope is never going away. Like it's just, it's appealing. It's as a storytelling yeah. conceit. It is something that we like to read, even if we're being like blase about it. Um, there's something exciting about reading a book and relating to somebody and then hearing, Oh, and this person is very special. Um, like I think that's valuable in storytelling uh but I like that Chiori despite being an extremely powerful magician Mm -hmm. is very unskilled Mm -hmm. and I like the way that relates to her needlework so we see her working under her stepmother who is extremely skilled and we see her sewing and she hates sewing and she's doing it very clumsily and she even enchants her needles to do it for her uh but it's still clumsy you know and I really like that as the metaphor for her being very new in her power and having a lot of a long way to go a lot of the time with chosen one tropes you know like we have Katniss Everdeen who's the chosen one who's already like shooting animals and already a fantastic shot and already like can keep herself alive in the hunger games and then we have somebody who's like knew how knows how to make a paper bird come to life but that's pretty much it like she's only used her magic for playing and and for making herself toys and that makes a lot of sense in this Mm -hmm. context and i liked that yeah and oh my goodness okay the twist, I can't, I'm not, the, the like, I can't, but, like, yeah. when they find out who the assassin is, and then you find out who the assassin is, yeah. it's just, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
some of these twists I saw coming, that one I sure did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, there were definitely layers to the story that I found very very exciting and like make like making you want to read the whole story like Mm -hmm. from beginning to beginning to end because the unfolding of these layers and the reveals um I think there's a lot um in this book um that when you're reading it for the first time I think it's very exciting very very exciting I just very hard to not say like because it does make the story really really special and yeah yeah Yeah. this is one of those ones that I just don't want to give away and thankfully it's a fairy tale retelling so we have the broad strokes that we can tell without spoilers I just want to read Elizabeth Lim now I'm just (laughs) like I'm not going to read anything else until I've read all her books um I'm excited actually because I think I'm going to read this one to my daughter yeah uh because she loves the Graceling Mm, trilogy mm -hmm. trio um, we haven't read Winter Keep yet. She really wants to read Winter Keep, but I think eight is not old enough to read Winter Keep. Um, I already had to skip stuff in Fire and, and Bitter Blue. But this one is totally the kind of like adventure fantasy without yep. super intense adult themes that I can enjoy and that I can read to my almost eight year old with no problem. Yeah. And she loves dragons. So I'm really excited yeah. about that. I think this is going to go really well. She likes adventure stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and this definitely yeah. is an adventure story. Yeah, I, I mean, there's another thing about this book that I really like, and it's like the settings, um, like moving from place to place to place, I think really um, yes. keeps the story moving as well. And so like, I loved her time where she spends her time in the castle in the north. Yes. Um, that's just beautiful. I want persimmons now. Yes, all the persimmons. <laughs> all of the person I want I want oh my god okay so that's the other thing about this book is I was reading this book most well most of this book probably half of this book I read on a train yesterday I read the other half just over the course of the week and when you're on a train your food options are limited and I had like a lot of snacks but I was reading this book is so immersed in food mm-hmm. there's so much food yeah. And like any book where hunger plays like a strong part and there's like, yeah, there's ripe persimmons and there's like, like rice cakes with peaches inside mm-hmm. and there's all these grilled meats and noodles and, and soup, like really mm-hmm. comforting soup. soup. This book yeah. made me make myself a bowl of daikon at like 10 PM. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's, and now I really want to do braised daikon, and I like I don't even like fish, and I want to make her fish soup. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really good. Yeah, like there are just so many like great gems in this yeah. book that make it like a great, great story. Very yeah. fun, very interesting, like very exciting, and like the adventure part of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a really good. Um, example of how letting your protagonist just be 16 does not Mm -hmm. have to take anything away from the story and in fact gives to the story Mm -hmm. there's there's just as much adventure and interpersonal tension one more point about seryu the teenage dragon (laughs) i like that seryu is also a teenager Mm -hmm. he is he's also in dragon years he's the same age as her 
and he is constantly reminding her like I can't do that yet like what are you talking I'm not a I'm not a grown-up dragon I am a child dragon I don't have that power I don't have that permission I can't just do things like um and I think that's like that sets the scene so well for the rest (laughs) of her story is that the first person she meets who affirms her magic is also like yeah but we're we're teenagers like yes we have magic but we're still teenagers yeah (laughs) um Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important role yeah Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I just like that there's a lot of elements to the story that added like the levity aspect because yeah because like I feel like the things that she goes through are really really difficult and even though it's not like super it's not angsty like there is like you can tell that it's a really difficult thing she's going yeah. through but like there is levity in the in the side characters the characters she meets along the way i love her crane kiki i love yeah there's just so many things that kind of help you like not get stuck in like that like the way that it could go is like super like angsty and dark um, yeah, but there's like, um, yeah, there's just like this lightness that is also brought in, yeah, in like sometimes comedic ways, and then sometimes in just like lovely characters that she meets. I really like that aspect yeah. of the book too. There's a lot that I liked about this book. <laughs> it's a really good book. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have a lot of trouble reading anything else because I just want to get spinned on and and sink into that until the next book in this series. Is yeah, ready. I'm really yeah. excited for the next book. Yeah, <laughs> dragons, dragons. <laughs> so it's Six Crimson Cranes by Elizabeth Lim. Uh, this is a hearty recommend. I feel like at this point we only read books that we recommend. Like, we've earned yeah. that, you know? We've yeah, earned kind of. that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've, after, after what, like, 150 episodes, we're allowed mm-hmm. to just do books we like. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyappodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yappodcast and individually... I'm at Teffer Bear. And I'm at The Unicorn Reads a Book on Instagram. That's unicorn with an E. If you like the show, or just want to help us make it better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yappodcast to donate. Shoutout to our patrons, Catherine Rashi, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, and Emmett Cameron. We have merch! Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Please do that. That goes a long way. Even just a couple of sentences that says, like, this podcast is great and I love it. Um, Really, really, really helps. Subscribing on Spotify. Sharing one of our posts on social media with a little little bit about what you liked about the episode really helps. or sharing this episode with a friend, maybe uh, your most fairy tale obsessed friend, maybe a friend who likes to wear a bowl on their head. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. 
This episode was produced by me, Tepera Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upward Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upwardnetwork.com. On behalf of the Canadian people, welcome, welcome to, to the Gay and Grey Podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. <laughs> hey, I'm October Jones. Hi, and this I'm is Fish with Legs. I'm a fish I'm with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it.